In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to the Respectrum. I'm Nathan Seelove. And I'm Michael Bloom. And today we have a very exciting episode. We so are going exciting. to talk about some of the bills that have been passed by the House of Representatives in the last week in an attempt to codify certain protections that we thought were protected but may not be. So we'll talk about that. Then we're going to do a segment of the injustice system in which we are going to discuss prison labor. So uh, be prepared for some flames to fly during that segment. And finally, we're, we're going to have a conversation about the need to not celebrate when your political opponents commit crimes and get caught committing crimes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think you it's going to be an interesting conversation. I think, I think it will be. And I think overall this is going to be an interesting episode because, I mean, again, this... I feel like the last few episodes have been much more returning to mm-hmm. our roots. It's classic, classic perspectrum stuff. Got the injustice the first one system is, in there. Yeah. 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 I've missed doing the injustice system. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, we'll never have topics to run out of or to, to, yeah. you know, run, never run out of topics on the injustice system. Cause they yeah. just keep going. Speaking of things that we'll never run out of Michael, oh, man, what are the COVID numbers? That, is a terrible intro. <laughs> That's so sad. All right. I know, but where's the lie? No, it's that's true. That's true. So so far in the world, we've hit 577 million cases, with average daily cases over the last seven days sitting at 903,000. Uh, that's up from 882,000 the week before, so a 2.4 percent increase, which is pretty similar to last week's increase of about 1.8 percent. In terms of death. We've hit 6.41 million deaths with average daily new deaths over the last seven days of 1,765. Um, that is up from 1,589 the week before, uh, which is an 11% increase. So that's much higher than last week's 2% increase in global deaths. In terms of vaccination, we've hit 66.9% with one dose. Uh, which is up from 66.8% last week, so up a tenth of a percent for the second week in a row. In the U.S., we've hit 92.3 million cases, with an average daily new case rate of 99,000, which is up from 96,000 the week before, so about a 3% increase, um, following, as a reminder, last week's 20% decrease from the week before. In terms of death, we've hit 1.052 million deaths with average daily deaths at 274, which is up from 250 the week before. So about a 10% increase um, compared to last week's average daily deaths, which was down again about 20% from the week before that. Um, So we're seeing a bit of like the pendulum swing back against the sharp decline in deaths and cases that we saw from the week before. Um, but we haven't, you know, gotten quite to that to like right back to where we were a couple of weeks ago. And in terms of vaccination in the U S we've hit 78.5% with at least one dose and 67.2% who are fully vaccinated, both up a 10th of a percent from the week before. 
we're in steady state COVID. I mean, yeah. not really. We had two weeks of increases worldwide, and we're kind of bouncing back and forth in the U.S., but it seems yeah. pretty steady state. Yeah. Thinking of things that seem to bounce back and forth, let's talk about civil rights. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. So as a reminder, um, if you missed it, few weeks ago, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. <laughs> what? Yes, big surprise. Uh, well, it was a surprise at the time. Um, yeah. Well, it was a surprise at the time, the draft opinion, which the draft let us was... know that the Supreme Court was going to be doing this. Which and... also wasn't really a surprise because we all kind of saw this coming as yeah. soon as, like literally the day that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, I turned to my wife and I said, that's the end of Roe. Yeah. Like, so yeah, yeah, fair enough. Not really, not really a surprise. Yeah, and and the fact that it's not really a surprise makes the fact that we're just now getting some of these like bills <laughs> a little <laughs> bit uh, a little bit better late than never, I guess. Um, yeah. But so so as a reminder, like yeah, they overturned Roe v. Wade, which is spooky on its own because it's a fifty year precedent, so that means precedent isn't safe. It's spooky for a second reason because Alito's argument which basically said, hey, there's nothing in the Constitution that says abortion, so we don't have a constitutional right to an abortion, um, would also undermine other modern rights that are implied from the 14th Amendment and the implied right of privacy, like um, like uh, the right to same-sex marriage, um, the right to interracial marriage, um, and the right to access contraception. On top of that, spooky point number three was Thomas's concurrence saying specifically that we should uh, review and that the Supreme Court should look to reverse their decisions on uh, Griswold v. Connecticut, which was about uh, contraception protection, and Obergefeld, uh, which is about, um, you know, protection, uh, like marriage equality. He also included Lawrence v. Texas, which is about uh, basically the right to perform whatever kinds of sex acts you want in your bedroom. Um, but that's really less relevant to this segment because the House hasn't passed any pro-sodomy federal, federal uh, legislation yet. <laughs> but at this point, we're talking about marriage equality and contraception. Yeah. So before we get started, there are a few things I do think I want to just make clear. I don't actually think that this Supreme Court is going to overturn any of those things. Mm -hmm. So, and I say that for several reasons. The first reason is that, like, for, on the point of marriage equality, there has been past rulings that both uh, Roberts and Gorsuch have come down on the side of protecting LGBTQ people, even beyond just marriage equality, but yeah. also employment protections mm -hmm. that have used equal protection as a justification, which is so, a, a federal law. So that's not which like is, an implied yeah. right of the constitution. Exactly. So I think that, I think that it is important to say that I do don't actually think that marriage equality is actually going is actually in danger at this point and i don't think that contraception is really going to be in danger at this point i think and the reason main reason i'm saying this is because no other 
Supreme Court justices signed on to Clarence Thomas's uh, additional retorts, his his additional concurrence opinion. Um, and it was directly stated in Alito's opinion that those particular protections are not on the table. And you might say, well, how can you how can you trust them? Mm-hmm. And again, I would say that I would be wary, but I'm not expecting them to go back on that for a few reasons. One of the reasons is the fact that the the decision itself that overturned Roe was its own form of judicial activism, mm-hmm. right? They went farther than what the actual challenge that was in front of them was. So like the challenge was on a 15 week ban and they decided to go even further than upholding the 15 week ban and just overturn Roe. So the way I see it, if they were planning on doing a larger repealing of substantive due process, they probably would have done it in this opinion. There's hmm. no reason why they wouldn't have. Interesting. Right. So, so that's, so that's why I don't think that the Supreme court is actually going to overturn any of these things. But that being said, even if there is a 0.3% chance of them doing that, we should have these laws on the books. Yeah. We should absolutely have these laws on the books. Yeah. Yeah. I think to your point, like when people ask like, well, how can you trust them? I think on like there, we lost trust on Roe because in yeah. their uh, confirmation hearings, people that voted to overturn Roe said that it was settled law, all that stuff. Yeah. But in the point you're making, I think is a good one, certainly with respect to marriage equality, which is like, you know, people have ruled, these justices have ruled on similar cases before and signaled that they're interested in yeah. upholding marriage equality or, or at least yeah. protections for LGBTQ people. Um, and again, yeah, I think like Gorsuch's opinion was like back going back to, um, employment protection and, uh, you know, anti-discrimination federal laws. And, yeah. and there's no reason to expect why that wouldn't extend to something like marriage equality. Yeah. Um, I think like I'm a little bit less sure about contraception, um, just because, and I'm not, I'm not saying that like, I'm like worried that we're going to go back to a pre Griswold era where married people, can't get contraception in certain states i'm a, i would be a little worried about banning different kinds of contraception though like plan yeah. b pills and things where things where a misunderstanding of a, a significant um misunderstanding of the science can lead people who are super anti-abortion to count those yeah. contraceptive measures as basically well, abortion well there were there are definitely a lot of forms of contraception that have been created since the griswold decision for sure yeah. Um, and remember, the Griswold decision was only was was only um, applying to married couples at the time. There's actually a future court case called uh, Eisenstadt v. Baird in which they confirmed that there was a constitutional right for all people, regardless of marital status. Yeah. And then they also affirmed it in Kerry v. Population Services International for minors to have a right to contraception. Mm, yeah. So there are several court cases that have affirmed this and i just i don't know i i don't think it's in a huge amount of danger at this point my worry is but again i think about it does like states that are chipping yeah, away well, at it just a little bit yeah so i think it's good to just kind of be like okay let's just stop that let's yeah. let's nip it in the bud totally. all right 
let's let's stop that in its tracks and and yeah so so that's that's basically what this these bills do so let's let's talk about the bills themselves yeah so let's start by talking about marriage equality um so marriage equality right now in the united states is supported by 71% of the population including a majority of republicans mm-hmm. all right so a majority of republicans support marriage equality so this has become a very clear and decisive issue as to where the american people are and it is really hard for people to come out and argue against it through yeah. any direct means because it is really hard to it's 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 hard to not be immediately casted uncontroversially as an asshole <laughs> if you are against this. Yeah. So so the Democrats decided to bring a bill up for a vote in the House of Representatives to number 1 uh officially repeal the Defense of Marriage Act which was ruled uh, unconstitutional and unenforceable during both um, the uh, Windsor decision and the Obergefell decision. So again, that's just kind of a affirming what the court has already said into law. Um, it establishes uh, specific protections federally against bans on marriage equality, and it ensures that uh, public acts and records should be recognized by all states, which includes adoption orders, which includes divorce, which includes, you know, just other other types of public acts. Yeah. So all states have to recognize those types, uh, regardless of sexual orientation. So again, not really changing what is already protected, but making sure that if the courts ever do try to strike down any provisions, that there will be federal provisions in order to protect it. Yeah. So the final vote for this came down to um, 267 to 157. And that had every single Democrat voting for it. It had 47 Republicans voting for it and 157 Republicans voting against it. Yeah. Now, you might be wondering, but wait, Nathan, didn't you say that a majority of Republicans support marriage equality and that it's really hard to come out directly against marriage equality and not be universally condemned as an asshole? Why, yes. The Republicans were like, I'll bite that bullet. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, but no, here's the thing. They tried to weasel their way out of it by making the stupidest fucking arguments they possibly could. So that just a little bit of thinking make it clear that they're almost Dershowitz bag level material of self-defeating. Yeah. But the main, the main argument that we've been seeing from a lot of Republicans has been, this is just a political stunt. It is unnecessary. Mm-hmm. It's an unnecessary thing to protect something that is already protected. It's a political stunt to distract from the fact that Democrats are doing terribly with regard to inflation in the economy. It's just a distraction to try to cast us as the bad guys. Yeah. Well, that to seems to have a problem. With, yeah. <laughs> to which I would respond with, okay, then don't cast yourself as the bad yeah, guy. Then don't I mean, be the bad guys. It's like, well, what am I supposed to do? I've beheaded him. He's evil. You don't kind of cast me as the bad guy. <laughs> like that's like, that's the thing. They're, they're, 
they're trying to pretend that this is a piece. This is just a, a political stunt. But like, even if you believed that it was a political stunt and the intention was to try to remind everybody, hey, look at how bigoted and terrible Republicans are. Yeah. You know, don't look at inflation. Look at that. Wouldn't you just be like, what are you talking about? We're not bigoted. Yeah. I voted for it. I voted. Yeah, absolutely. Let's just yeah. keep this out of the news by voting for it and be like done with it. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, totally. I, I just don't understand. Yeah. In what reality that's a good idea. And you're not even turning against your base because a majority of Republicans already support this shit. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's really it's a really interesting case because like it's pretty clear that Republicans know like broadly that this is that opposing this is not popular. It's not a good yeah. issue, which is like which is why they didn't whip votes for it. Like they didn't yeah. they didn't try to cause their to require their members to like vote along party lines for this bill which is actually very strange in this day and age like you would yeah. pretty much every bill all the republican and democ and most of the democratic votes are whipped along party lines and so the fact that they didn't come out and say hey everybody has to vote against this um yeah like i think they get that it's they would don't want to put any republicans especially ones facing potentially difficult midterm challenges in like tough positions where they feel like they have to vote against something that they, that their constituents wouldn't agree with them voting against. There were two interesting names on the Republican side of this vote that I thought was kind of interesting. And that's the fact that we have Liz Cheney as a yay and Adam Kinzinger as a yay. Hmm. The two Republicans on the J six committee, now, <laughs> now Cheney doesn't actually surprise me that much because um, I'm pretty sure that she has a sister who's gay. Yeah. And actually, and Dick Cheney, like his his only redeeming quality, and I mean only redeeming quality, literally, literally only redeeming quality is the fact that he was one of the first Republicans to support marriage equality, mm-hmm. specifically because he had a gay daughter. So that doesn't surprise me too much. Although she but, has come out against marriage equality in the past. Having a, had a gay sister and a a pro marriage quality father, so yeah, I, I do yeah. agree that it's not too surprising. But um, I yeah, I yeah. like, and it's also I don't know it, 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 what that tells me. Again, it, I, that doesn't tell me that she's now a good person and a liberal hero. What that tells me is that once you start to get to the point where you're not just towing the party line, which is kind of at the point where she is and you're actually voting in line with your actual values. Um, you do tend to start being on the right side of more of these issues. Yeah. Now she's on the wrong side of most issues Mm -hmm. and I don't want to, I don't want to give her any undue credit, undue credit. I would never want to give her any undue credit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, but but this 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 kind of goes to show you the toxicity that is partisanship in Washington, yeah. And how when you don't have to deal with that, um, you can it actually, actually gives people the opportunity. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. There can actually be a certain level of collaboration. So why does so, Adam Kinziger surprise you? Aside from the fact that he's a Republican in the House, <laughs> but that's forty-seven I, of them. Well, he right. he surprises me more than Cheney. Yeah, why is um, that? he's not a moderate. Yeah, yeah. I think if there were. Uh, I, to your point, a lot of these people are not moderate. Like third in third in party leadership in the uh, in the House on the Republican side voted for this. 
while yeah. while the first and second McCarthy and what's his name voted against it. Like there was actually some yeah. weird breaks along like not clearly like extreme lines. It's not just the more extreme you are, the less likely you're to vote for it. So it's like if I were to pick, yeah, if I were to pick like the House members that would have voted for this, I wouldn't necessarily have picked everybody that did. So it's yeah. yeah. But to to your point, like that's the benefit of having not everybody like required to toe the party line. I think like people just get yeah. to pick according to their beliefs and their strategy. Maybe strategy yeah. and beliefs. We'll put the important one first. So yeah. let's talk about this in the Senate though. I'm curious to like yeah. I'm curious to talk about that because it seems like the Democrats were kind of surprised by the Republican support in the House and that has helped it get some more momentum. And so, and we have, we've already seen in the House that they weren't trying to whip votes against this bill. And as it's in the Senate, Mitch McConnell has not expressed a view on this bill yet. Um, he's yeah. kind of left it an open question, which means that it doesn't seem like he is trying to whip votes against it either. And so yeah. that uncertainty might mean that it's the Republicans are more able to break party lines and we might yeah. actually be able to get to 10 Republican votes to support. Yeah. And CNN actually, for once, um, did some pretty good journalism on this. Uh, and actually, they reached out to every single Republican mm -hmm. to try to get their views on it. And after looking at this, I'm actually pretty hopeful. Yeah. To go ahead and clear up, the reason why we're even talking about Republicans is because, of course, it's the Senate, yep. which means that there's a filibuster. And that means that in order to get anything done... In a 50-50 controlled Senate, you need 60 votes, which means you need 10 Republicans to vote for this. So then the question is, do we have those 10 Republicans? And the answer is, maybe. <laughs> We've definitely so had a few. As it's, <laughs> yeah. As it stands, we already have five senators who have either said they will, they will definitely support it or they are likely to support it. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, Susan Collins, which does not surprise me one bit in yeah. fact she's one of the co-sponsors yeah um lisa murkowski uh rob portman tom tillis and ron johnson now the interesting thing with ron johnson i want to make one thing clear the only reason why he is supporting this is because it's an election year and he has a competitive election yeah. in a state that is as it like, should be as politics <laughs> should be <laughs> Uh, and I would actually say probably same with Tom Tillis in mm -hmm. North Carolina. Yeah. Um, it's just a losing <laughs> issue to be against. There's no... It's a losing issue. Yeah. All the moderates like, are on the supportive marriage equality side. Yeah. Well, so-called moderates. Um, if we are if we are thinking of... I mean moderate voters. Romney. I mean moderate voters. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not, not moderate oh, yeah, yeah, senators. Yeah. 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 Um, but anyways... Uh, so far, you have eight Republicans who are just straight up no vote. Um, Bill Cassidy from Louisiana, not surprising. John Cornyn, not surprising. Ted Cruz, not surprising. Lindsey Graham, a little surprising. Yeah, a little surprising. Yeah. <laughs> um, Josh Hawley, not surprising. Not surprising. Jim, uh, Jim Inhofe, Inhofe uh, not surprising. Marco Rubio, definitely not surprising. Yeah. And then Roger Wicker. Um, and... So far, you have 15 senators who are either not not decided or have not indicated support. And so far, as I've gone through some of the things that each of these people have said, a lot of them are kind of like, hey, I support marriage equality, but I just I just want to read the bill first. 
And like, that is a bit of a cop out, but like, if you are already expressing, yeah, I, I support this. I don't have a problem with gay people getting married. Then that kind of tells me you're probably going to end up supporting it. Yeah. In the end. Yeah. You know? And, and, you know, they have like Democrats actively like whipping those Republican votes. Like, like yeah. Tammy Baldwin, who uh, is like gathering votes in support of this and has indicated at least to like the New York times that, she's pretty confident that she'll be able to get up to 10 Republican votes. Um, yeah. Which is like, it's pretty interesting um, that that's actually the case. And, and I think it speaks to, again, if you have an overwhelmingly popular issue that seems like it's a losing battle, especially in an election year where, uh, where the only real argument against it is, is like purely partisan. It's purely just yeah. the argument that like, wow, if we let them make like pass this thing, it might be popular and they might like it. In which case, to Nathan's point, it's self-defeating to vote against it because yeah. it's popular and people might like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So literally that is an argument for why every single Republican should just vote for it. Yeah. And then just be like, uh, why that, why, why are these Democrats calling us bigots? We voted for this. Like this is bipartisan. Yeah, we both exactly. like, why, why the, f yeah, why this isn't a victory for the Democrats. It's a victory for all of us. I think another thing that actually makes this bill really strong and, and it seems to be one of the things that reportedly Tammy Baldwin is pushing with the senators that she's talking to is how simple and straightforward this bill is. Yeah. Like it's so short. It's about one thing. It just, it just repeals like DOMA and, and other federal laws that like look at, marriages between a man and a woman and like enshrines that protection. Um, it's like very straightforward, which is, I think I was actually thinking about this the other day before this bill even came up. I was thinking like how many bills die because they try to make them like omnibus. They try to make them like cover yeah. a bunch of topics and, and I get why they do that. It's to get people on board, to give people favors, to like make it, yeah. make it work. But at the same time, I think it does two things. One, it makes certain bills that might be attractive seem less attractive because there yeah. are just things that are not as popular with those senators that they include. But two, it makes it really hard to message to the public that this person is against this bill because they're a bad person against this topic, right? You can, yeah. you, it gives yeah. someone like Manchin license to say, well, I'm against saving the environment, not because I don't like saving the environment, because, but because you know it had this other thing in there about you know, sea turtles and I hate sea turtles, <laughs> no, you know, but you know what I mean? It like it enables no, yeah, them to that's say right. it's yeah. nothing to do with marriage equality. It's to do with all this pork that's in there. And when you get rid yeah. of all that, it's, and they did that specifically to be able to call out people and say, this is a referendum on marriage equality. It puts a lot more pressure on people and gives them a lot more license to say, yep, this is a cut and dry issue that I'm able to support. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about contraception. Yeah, I love contraception. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Um, I will say some of the same arguments that I've been seeing against this bill, I am stunned by the stupidity. Yeah. And I follow politics on a regular basis. It's hard to stun me with stupidity, especially for elected Republicans to stun me with stupidity. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm just, I've become dead inside <laughs> to the stupidity of elected Republicans. Yeah. But some of these arguments have just stunned me. Yeah. So, so, so this bill is specifically on like contraception. It would create a statutory right for people to access birth control 
um, and protect a range of contraception methods, as well as ensure that health healthcare providers have a right to provide contraception services to patients. Um, yeah. And so it would cover a bunch of different things like oral contraception, uh, in uterine devices, condoms, and a sticking point, or at least a seeming sticking point, is emergency contraception as well. Yeah. So let's go through each of those provisions and see how the the public feels about them. Yeah. Because... This is even more of a winning issue than, <laughs> than marriage equality in some ways. So, like, if you're looking at laws... So, so, so the reason why we want these laws in place is because we don't want any states to pass restrictions on the types of contraceptives that are available. Yeah. We don't want states to ban contraceptions, can't, contraceptives. That is a gross overreach of government. Um. And, and it's an infringement everybody on personal should autonomy. Agree on that. <laughs> and funny thing is, uh, people do. Yeah. Like, so in terms of um, percentage of Americans that believe that uh, certain forms of birth control should be legal uh, for condoms, uh, 90%. Mm-hmm. And what's hilarious about this is that it's 92% of Republicans and 91% of Democrats. More Republicans <laughs> think condoms should be legal than Democrats. Um, Wait, that's so birth weird. birth control pills. That's got to yeah, be know, like that's... hippy-dippy Democrats who are like, who are like, yeah. Ah, uh, well, I don't know. Condoms are causing health problems. <laughs> yeah. And then for birth control pills, like 89% of everyone um 93% of Republicans and 91% of Democrats. Again, wow, more Republicans so than Democrats. Wow. Um, that starts to change slightly for IUDs. Um, it's uh, 81% for everybody, uh, 82% for Republicans and 83% for Democrats. That's so weird. I wonder why. That seems like a really weird yeah. like difference, but we don't have to, we don't, and then, we can't, no. <laughs> yeah. And then for emergency contraception, it's when it starts to change a bit, but yeah. not much. Still, yeah, largely so, popular. So all 70% Democrats, 83%, and Republicans, 62%. Still a vast majority of Republicans. Yeah. So basically all of the contraceptives that will be covered under this particular bill have overwhelming support even by Republicans. Yeah. And the argument that some of the Republicans have been making is basically trying to claim that this is a sneaky attempt in order to in order to fulfill their abortion agenda. Yeah. Oh so Representative God. Kate Kamak said that it was um, it was violating religious rights and said that um, that what? the bill <laughs> invokes states quote states they cannot name banning contraceptives. Which by the way, she hasn't read the fucking bill. Because it actually specifically calls out restrictions in Arkansas, Mississippi, Missouri, <laughs> and Texas. Yeah. So, yes, they have named the states. Yeah. And then Representative Debbie Lesko from Arizona said that the Democrats were pursuing, were pursuing a, quote, extreme abortion on demand agenda. Oh, my God. And that is so stupid because... How do you prevent abortion? What's the best way of preventing abortions? Preventing unplanned pregnancy. Yeah. How do you defend? How do you? Um, how do you prevent 
unplanned pregnancy, contraceptives. Yeah. You know, you know what's so funny <laughs> about that is that Republicans know that they've yeah. put they've put forward their own contraceptive contraceptive bill. Um, GOP reps Marietta Miller Meeks from Iowa and Ashley Hinson from Iowa uh, introduced legislation that would allow oral contraceptives approved by the FDA. So one of the arguments that, that some Republicans are saying is like, well, if this bill passes, the F- it won't require that uh, contraceptives are passed by the FDA in order for people to get access to them. Like, that seems really unlikely to me. I'm not a legal expert, but that seems like, of course, that would not be the case. The FDA has the ability to regulate what kinds of medicines people are allowed to take. But anyway, so this specifies that people would be allowed to get oral contraceptive over the counter that were approved by the FDA, specifically because, and they specifically said this, because, quote, one of the best ways we can prevent abortions is to increase access to contraception. Reachers has shown us time and time again that if you make it easier for women to access oral contraceptive, you lower the rate of unplanned pregnancies. Providing over-the-counter contraceptives is safe and effective for women. Like... (laughs) They made their own bill. <laughs> also, also the bill specifically defines contraception as, quote, an action taken to prevent pregnancy. Yeah. Not abortion. Yeah. It is not abortion. Plan B is not abortion. Mm-mm. Anybody who thinks it is, is wrong. Yeah. They are just, just read, wrong. Just read the box. Like. You're just wrong on the science. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't care what you believe. You are wrong. Yeah, exactly. I, so, yeah. So again, the, the 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 argument is they're trying to they're they're trying to protect something that's not under attack. They're trying to score political points or they're trying to increase abortions. Which would this would do exactly the opposite. Which this would do exactly the opposite. And as for the other two, again, if your argument is they're trying to score cheap political points by trying to cast us as the bad guys, then don't cast yourself as the bad guys. Why would you cast yourself (laughs) as the bad guys? Yeah. It's so absurd. It's like, it's like if someone, it's like if someone hands you a, it's like if someone hands you a knife and says, I'm handing you this so that you can stab me and become the bad guy. And you say, Oh, you're only doing this to make me the bad guy. And then you stab Stab them. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so it's totally justified for me to stab you because you're only doing this to make me the bad guy. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's so stupid. Yeah. And again, none of this, at least right now does anything like none of this really changes much, but it, it, it's, it, even if these are just, symbolic gestures the fact that you would be against it is just unthinkable and the arguments you've been made are idiotic and if the democrats have any brains they'll basically they, they will use this and be like hey look the republicans are against these extremely popular things and and the thing is most people that follow politics closely we'll be able to look at that and be like well that was just political theater and it was it this is political theater i mean but but still you have them on the record as saying they're against these things yeah so use that <laughs> all right and now it's time for a more lighthearted segment 
Tips for good. So, Nathan, why do we do tips for good every week? Well, Michael, we do tips for good every week because it's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control. Let's do the time warp again. Oh, my God. (laughs) I was like, wait, I recognize this. What is it? And it's because... I, I, the reason I recognize this is because Rocky Horror Picture Show makes the world a better place, right? The time warp. It does. It, does. it absolutely does. Yeah. It absolutely does. Sure. I mean, I, I I had to skip some lines because I realized it, it's a while before I get to that, that chorus and I need to get to the chorus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't mind quoting Rocky Horror Picture Show for like minutes on end, but you know. <laughs> but that's not why people tune into the show. That's not why people tune into the <laughs> Maybe show. Maybe a special patron in. only. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they turn be... in to help make the world a better place. That's true. Which is also what Tips for Good does. Man. It's like it's like Rocky Horror Picture Show. That's that's basically what we're saying. So, Michael, what is our tip for good this week? Our tip for good is a simple one. And it's in unlike some of our tips for good, this tip for good is just for you. You know? Yeah. It makes the world a better place because it makes all of us better. And that tip is to read a freaking book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and not even like a read a book so you can get educated kind of way. Just like take a minute, take a little while, relax, focus in on a book. Yeah. One of the things that Michael and I have been doing in the last week is we've like, so when I was in high school, I stopped reading for pleasure because I was assigned books to read. Sure. All right, so it was always thought of as a chore. And I didn't realize until just recently how much I actually really like reading fiction books. Yeah. Like fictional books. Yeah. And it it's just very gratifying. So even if it's an audiobook that you put on when you're in the car or, you know, maybe a, a book that you found that you bought on Amazon and you want to sit down on your couch and read, just like find a book that is a genre that you enjoy and just sit down and read for a while. Totally. Yeah. There was a time there where I was like, I was like, I shouldn't be spending my time reading fiction. I should be spending my time making my, like learn, learn more stuff, learn more good, make brain gooder. Um, yeah. And (laughs) make brain good. (laughs) And, and obviously didn't work. No. Uh, (laughs) but the thing that like, the thing that, the problem was that I just lost the motivation to read because yeah. I like it doesn't have to be productive because the productive act is the act of like letting your brain f- like work in a freeing kind of way. And so like, yeah, yeah. to your point, Nathan, like I r- more recently, probably not like in the last couple of months, probably last over last couple of years or whatever, have been picking up fiction books more often to read and just fucking loving it. It's just so great. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's tips, tips for, for good. good. So for our next segment, we're talking about something that sucks a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that is when people write great constitutional amendments and then they fuck them up a little bit. Yeah. 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 So specifically, this is about like, the Thirteenth Amendment, which which we're a fan of, we're for a the fan. Most part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should you come know? out right up front and say, yeah. "Yep, 
pro 13th amendment it abolished slavery and involuntary servitude yeah but then it, and you know what i i feel like i feel like a, i don't know if our show has taken a direct stance on this before <laughs> but i can i can tell you with confidence that the perspectrum firmly stands against slave labor yeah i i'm actually pretty sure we've taken a hardcore stance on that in a lot Have of we? different contexts <laughs> yeah <laughs> even like even like pretty much every every time to, we've talked about that or anything related to it we've definitely been you know, I don't know. 100% it's just, it's just slavery. It's just it's such a controversial issue sure, in America. Sure. I mean, we're just we so don't divided touch it. on political lines <laughs> when it comes to slavery. So like, no, 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 you know, no, it's it's I it's probably something that we. Hopefully, this never is written down in a transcript where the sarcasm doesn't come out. <laughs> <laughs> but the problem with the Thirteenth Amendment is this one little sentence where it, it says, "Except as punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted." Yeah. So I am usually extremely hesitant to compare things to slavery. In fact, sometimes my wife thinks that my hardline stance against comparing things to slavery goes too far. Like I usually I, I tried to avoid terms like wage slavery because in my mind, slavery is such a dirty term that it should really only be saved for circumstances in which it really, really applies. I am right. with you there. So, so you know, I, I sometimes to a fault, I'm hesitant to call things slavery. However, it's not me calling it slavery. It's the Constitution calling it slavery. When we're talking about prison labor... It's not me calling it slavery. It's the yeah. Constitution calling it slavery. And that's that's one of the biggest problems with this segment. There is no constitutional remedy yeah. because the Constitution explicitly allows this. Yeah. Like explicitly does not yeah. prevent this. Yeah. When you say something is banned, except that except yeah. means that it is the something. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to talk about prison labor, which is slavery. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is it is slavery. And there is a lot of research to back up not just the not just the physical definition of slavery, but also the colloquial ways in which we have come to think of slavery. Yeah. Yeah. So there is actually a really in-depth study. Um, by the uh, University of Chicago School of Law um, called uh, Captive Labor Exploitation of Incarcerated Workers. It's a super in-depth study that involved um, interviews of several incarcerated individuals from all around the country, a comprehensive look at wages, at conditions, at methods of recourse, at what specifically they're having people do and they found some very concerning things mm -hmm. to say the least so first off let's establish some a general fact yeah so about 65% of all incarcerated people do some type of work do some type of prison labor all right. To put that into perspective, that means that there's about 800,000 workers that are currently incarcerated in prisons. So 800,000, almost a million. And incarcerated workers 
according to this study, they produce around $2 billion annually in goods and $9 billion worth of maintenance services. Mm -hmm. So like a, a, a vast majority of these workers work within the actual prisons themselves, yeah. about 80% of them. Yep. And that offsets approximately $9 billion mm -hmm. worth of worth of labor every year. Jeez. Let's call back real fast to the fa to the episode, the segment we did about private prisons, where we're like, yeah. private prisons, because they're private. The incentive is to reduce costs as much as possible. And the way to do that is yeah. to, you know, make conditions as bad as possible and dun, 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 force people to work for you for yeah. next to nothing. Yeah. Now, for me, when it comes to the need, arguing for the need for prison reform with regard to labor, that's where the argument would stop. Because I will say, blanketly, any system, any justice system that provides financial incentives to the system itself to incarcerate more people yeah. is a fundamentally flawed system it's a corrupt system i think like it's, it's a corrupt that is system. the definition of corruption is that the incentives yeah. of the system are misaligned with its goals it's yeah. corrupt i will say i will say that incarcerating somebody should be so horribly inconvenient for the state yeah. <laughs> and the federal government yeah that they only do it when they really need to do it yeah when it's somebody who is dangerous and the primary and the primary goal or, or so somebody who is who has committed incredible wrongdoings that need to be, be disincentivized. And and what that also means is that it should be the state's highest priority to, if they can, rehabilitate the individual to the point where they can be released as soon as they possibly can. Yeah. Now, of course, there are some individuals that should not be released who are just straight out dangerous to society. But... Yeah. But that's not the vast majority of that's, fucking people yeah, in prison. Th that's that's not the vast majority. And generally of the people speaking, in prison. that's not the people that are producing the most goods yeah. and services and are are leading to the profiting of the prison system off of the low or next to free labor of these people. Yeah. So that's the next uh, that's the next thing to talk about, which is compensation. So as it stands, states pay incarcerated workers pennies per hour if they are lucky yeah in seven states they pay nothing for a vast majority of work yeah so in alabama arkansas florida georgia mississippi south carolina and texas they pay nothing yeah. for most of the prison labor let's be clear legally there's no requirement federally at least or, or like in the constitution or anything like that 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 this labor be compensated at all. The only reason yeah. why sometimes it's compensated is because labor groups outside of the prison were like, well, how are we supposed to complete compete with free? Yeah. Yeah. So on average, prisoners are paid between 15 cents and 52 cents per hour mm -hmm. for non-industry jobs. 15 yeah. to 52 cents per hour. What blows my mind about that like even more is that is that um that in the best case those workers get that money and then they'll have to use like almost all of it paying 
for basic stuff in the prison, like toothbrushes, deodorant, calls that can cost up to a dollar a minute to make outside of the prison. But in the worst case, the state is able to garnish up to like 80% of that income. And like they, the fucking prison is able to charge them for room and board. Yeah. Like this isn't a hotel. This isn't college. Like you force these people to be here and then you're charging them to stay. Yeah. Which this goes back to what I was saying about how horribly inconvenient it should be to incarcerate individuals. Yeah. It should be horribly inconvenient. It should be a financial burden, which will incentivize you to try to prevent people from needing to come in in the first place. And again, you think that 15 to 52 cents per hour is bad enough? 80% of that is being taken for fucking room and board services. (laughs) They're being withheld through taxes. Yeah. Taxes. Taxes. They can't (laughs) vote or get any benefits from the state. Yeah, absolutely. And on top of that, as if that were not bad enough, federal labor standards do not apply to incarcerated individuals because, again, they are legally slaves. Yes, yeah. Yeah, all right? This this is crazy. In the few cases where incarcerated workers have actually sued their prison uh, employers to force, enforce, like, minimum wage standards or, like, fair labor standards or protections like that, courts have ruled that the relationship between the penitentiary and the inmate is not primarily economic. Thus, the worker is not protected by those statutes, right? Judging that, you know, um, so like judging that the relationship between the prison and the incarcerated person is like, uh, is primarily social or, or penal in nature. Um, and so, like, none of those apply. So let's think that through. Let's just take, like, 20 seconds to think about that. That Basically, they're saying that because they can force you to work, right? It's not economic. It's penal. They can force you to work in unsafe conditions. You don't deserve the basic protections that you would be entitled to if they couldn't force you to work in unsafe conditions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even in the rare occasions in which they do something that is so bad that it goes against even the minor minuscule protections that you do have mm-hmm. in most states your ability to do anything about it is extremely extremely difficult so um from the uh, the prison litigation reform act of uh, 1996 they created almost insurmountable barriers to accessing relief through federal courts, which state laws have also followed suit. So basically what it says is that you have to exhaust other means of complaints, oftentimes to uh, higher-ups within the the prison, like prison wardens, and you have to prove that you've done that before you can even petition Mm. anything to the courts. Which, considering the fact that, I mean, in some cases, the warden are in on those violations. And on top of that, they're given a limited amount of time to to do it, and they have to fill out forms that they have no training yeah, as to how to sure. properly fill them out. So in Georgia, there's a deadline for 10 days, 10 calendar days, for addressing grievances. In California, there is a uh, there are 30 calendar days 
uh, from the date of the incident and 30 days to appeal any denial, which is actually one of the better ones. Mm -hmm. But again, number one, a lot of these prisoners, if they're complaining about labor standards, they're not going to have as much time sure. in order to uh, fill out these forms to begin with. And on top of that, and this, <laughs> this really got me. So you might think, well, come on, they have to find time in 30 days or even 10 days. They have to find some time to figure it out. So apparently in Illinois, it took a team of 10 qualified lawyers 18 months, 18 months to decipher the state's procedures. Jesus Christ. And they're expecting prisoners, inmates, to figure this shit out by themselves in, if they're lucky, 30 days. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So there is no recourse. And that's like, even if the people feel safe actually doing that, like there's no, like, as far as I'm aware, there's no like protection from being penalized for trying to initiate one of these claims or something like that. Obviously like yeah. that would be bad if it like got out, if the claim ever made it out. But like, like these workers are forced to work and penalized if they don't, even if they're sick or they don't come to work, they are like, threatened or put in confinement or like they have demerits because they don't show up to work 75 percent uh, of workers in one aclu study reported that if they can't work or decline they are subject to punishment ranging from solitary confinement to loss of family visitations to denials of sentence reductions because they don't work like they are forced to work for nothing yeah which solitary confinement should be banned. It is completely. Inhuman. It is torture. Yeah, absolutely. Like they're, so they're saying, they're literally saying you're going to work for us or we're going to torture yeah. you. And if they're willing to say that just to get you to work, like if you start yeah. petitioning to have your, have worker protections or whatever, like, or, or, or like there have been, there's been really retaliation against like protesters who've tried to protest conditions in prisons and they've been put in solitary confinement. Like wardens, they're wardens. They can they run the place with an iron fist. Like there's no reason to believe that they'll be like, well, if you're gonna good faith file this form that says that I'm really fucking you over, then I guess that's fine. No, they're gonna put you in solitary or deny you access yeah. to the library or pencils or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And that impacts. So and and on top of that, let's talk about the actual conditions that they're put in. Mm -hmm. All right. So. Again, they're being forced to work, and 64% of incarcerated workers surveyed in this report um, reported worrying about their safety while working. Jeez. All right. In some cases, they're put on, uh, the, they're they're put to work on farms in hot conditions, or during COVID, they were put in confined spaces hmm. and forced to create safety equipment for healthcare workers that they themselves were not allowed to use. Jeez. There was this one farm through Angolia prison in the state of Louisiana where the workers were put, were, were put on farms to work in extreme heat. There were no restroom facilities. They were told to relieve themselves in the actual field itself. Hmm. Um, they, 
in some cases, they were given what were referred what is what's referred to as uh, make work jobs, which basically means that they had nothing to do, so they were given something tedious to do for a while, mm-hmm. like um, like being sent out into a field with a dull blade in order to cut grass. Um, and just the things that some of the people said about this that actually experienced it are just are chilling. So, um, uh, so, uh, Robert Jones, who is the co-founder of, uh, Freedom Foundations and who at one point worked at this specific field said, quote, if you watch a slave movie, you've seen the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Another worker uh, at the at the facility said, quote, now we are really slaves all over again. One of the deputies told me the reason they named this Angola is because that's where slaves escaped from the motherland. And that will never happen again because it's legal now. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, Angola prison was a plantation yeah. during Reconstruction that used... Um, that used prison labor, prison slavery, right? Because like to produce agricultural products. So like during reconstruction, that's the thing. When you draw a line that says like, oh, this is like, this is slavery. You're not saying this is analogous to slavery. It's slavery reimagined, reformed. It's like literally in, as soon as reconstruction started after the civil war uh and the 13th amendment had this exception they established these work prisons where they would just sweep up and arrest like hundreds or thousands of black men who who had just gained their freedom arrest them you know duly convicted was probably a pretty low bar in the south for a black person and would f- then force them to work for free in these prisons, essentially just establishing slave plantations with the extra clerical step of having to arrest them first. And Angola, a prison in operation today, running agricultural production with workers was in operation at that time. It was one of those slave plantations masquerading as a prison yeah yeah on top of this so if you think that in any way the money the little bit of money that they're able to make from this which is already like which they already lose like 80 percent of it to begin with if you think in any way they can use it to to save up to be able to do anything outside of prison nope because on top of this prisons charge for necessary items and and hygiene products so soap bars they charge for them Mm -hmm. tampons pads they charge for them toothpaste and toothbrush shampoo sunblock sunblock consider that the fact that some of these people are put in in the hot sun in fucking plantations and they have to pay for their own sunscreen band-aids they charge for band-aids yeah ankle bracelets so they end up having to use the little money that they are able to to 
build up in order to in order to pay for essentials of being in prison yeah. for toiletries. Yeah. Toilet paper is considered a luxury item. And, Toilet paper. And something tells me they don't have bidets instead. I'm I I don't think they do. <laughs> <laughs> so so things I mean that that kind of just reveals a whole another problem which is the fact that this shit is not like I'm not saying that you need to give them like the high quality shit but you got to give them the basic shit. Yeah. yeah. Like And the and the thing is like this is just another perverse incentive to fill prisons with more people. Yeah. Like Warren Yeager uh a uh, a county commissioner, former county commissioner in Florida, said, quote, there is no way we can take care of our facilities, our roads, our ditches if we didn't have inmate labor. Yeah. It's like, yeah. We literally, like, we have whole industries dependent on essentially slave labor. Like, a, a Louisiana sheriff, Stephen Pratter, said, quote, we need to keep some out there. That's the ones that you can work, that pick up trash, the work release program. But guess what? Those are the ones that they're releasing, the good ones that we use every day to wash cars, change oil in our cars, to cook in the kitchen, to do all that where we save money. Well, they're going to let them out. This is a sheriff opposing new sentencing laws and parole laws to reduce the pool of incarcerated people because all of the economic incentives here are to get more people into prisons to fill more beds to put money in the public pro the pockets of private prisons and even for public prisons the public prisons are dependent for for their labor force on the prison population they can't yeah. run the prisons without being full of prisoners it means that a lot of the products that you get, that you consume every day, yeah. were made by slaves, by people that, again, have the same rights as slaves. The reason why they're excluded from these work protections is specifically because the 13th Amendment allows for these people to be treated like slaves. And again, I do not use that word lightly. Mm -hmm. I cannot... I, I cannot impress upon that enough, uh, impress upon that fact enough. I do not use that word lightly, but that is what, that, that's what's going on. So there have to be reforms. And I, I'm not going to argue that the reform should be absolutely no prison labor. Like, I'm not saying that prisoners shouldn't be able to work. I'm saying, number one, they shouldn't have to work. Number two, if they do work, they should be given the same protections as any worker in terms of conditions, in terms of minimum wage. And number three, um, the work that they do should have adequate training. That's actually, that's another thing. Yeah. Um, according to this, according to this study that I've gotten pretty much most of this information from, 70% of, of prisoners, of prison laborers, said that they had received no formal job training. Yeah. And yet, one of the arguments for prison labor is that, that it helps people lower recidivism rates. It helps lower recidivism rates by preparing people to be productive and do jobs out in society once they're out. 
Except it doesn't train them to do jobs and and contribute to society once they're out. Exactly. So, so for, for example, in some States, one of the jobs that prisoners might do is work in a nursing home. All right. You know, which is a medical facility. Yeah. However, in a lot of States, the licensing required in order to work in a nursing home is explicitly prohibited from being given to people that had been formally convicted of being a felon, which means that outside of the workforce or outside of prison, they're not allowed to work on the exact same job that they did in prison. And of course the idea is that it's again, it's profit motivated because if they can pay a prisoner who does not have job training, like, two cents an hour they'll hire them but if they have to hire if they have to pay them a fair wage they want to make sure they have job training it is completely yeah. ass backwards yeah. everything about it literally like so even the private some of the private companies that use prison labor when those same prisoners get out they're denied jobs because they don't hire felons yeah <laughs> those same companies It's absurd. So now it's time for our favorite segment, Asshat of the Week. So, Nathan, who is our asshat this week? Well, Michael, our asshat this week is a newcomer. Someone that we have not talked about. Um, It's uh, Pennsylvania representative Glenn Thompson. Glennie Tom, come on Tom down. Tom Glenson, no way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what did he do to get on our show? So, as you as you ascertained from um, his title, he is a representative. As- he is a member of ascertained? the as had attained. <laughs> Sorry, we'll cut he is that. a he's a House <laughs> representative, um, and he's also a Republican. And he is one of the Republicans, one of the 156 Republicans that voted against codifying marriage equality into law. Now, as if that weren't enough. Yeah, that could definitely for you to be considered have all asset. those people be an asset. Yeah. Just like just like you think that you think certain people should be treated as second class citizens. As if that wasn't enough. Three days after voting against it, he attended his gay son's wedding. Oh my god. <laughs> oh man. I'm surprised he was invited, honestly. Who invites? Yeah, no, who if, invites I was, if I was a son, LGBTQ I'd just be like, people. dude, fuck you. I mean, I hope that he got dirty looks the entire yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I hope he got dirty looks. I hope that, I, I just. It's crazy. How, f- how spiteful can you be? Yeah. Like, I know that we often do criticize Republicans that kind of don't care about something until it affects someone that they care about. This is somebody that didn't care about something even when it affected someone that they cared about. Yeah. Like how much of a shitbag do you have to be to have a son who is gay and to directly vote to prevent their li- their rights from being codified. Yeah. Yeah. And then have the nerve to attend a wedding that you yourself voted against protecting. Yeah. You yourself says, like, shouldn't be legally protected. And so the uh, his his press secretary was reached out to, and talked about how thrilled they were to celebrate their son's uh, their son's marriage as he begun the new chapter in their life, and he was quote very happy to welcome their new son-in-law into their family. 
Um, and he, he, he derailed the Respect for Marriage Act as being, quote, uh, nothing more than an election year messaging stunt for Democrats in Congress who have failed to address historic inflation and out-of-control prices at gas pumps and grocery stores. Again, it's the same shit of, you're just doing this to make us look like the bad guy. So we're going to be the bad guy. Yeah. yeah. It's a stupid argument. It, and it blows and... me away because it's like, if his son couldn't get married because this wasn't protected, I bet he probably would be one of those Republicans that's convinced to support it because, you know, that's the case. But because yeah. his son could, he's like, well, who cares if 20, 10, 20 years down the line, yeah. this is this right is shredded. People are no longer able to get married. Who cares about that? I don't need to take any yeah. steps to... It's like... It's like they only care. They, they're basically making the argument that we should only care about issues that are currently a problem. It's like saying that you should only buy fire insurance after your house has burned down. Yeah. It makes no fucking no, actually, sense. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, so, like, and I, the fact that he's so willing to take that risk because like today it's not a problem for his family. Yeah. Like spiting his own kid to score cheap political points. There's just, there is nothing more ass hattery than that. Like that's just, that is the, you have to be the lowest form of human being to do that. Yeah. And that's the lowest from now on. The lowest form of human being is a Tom Glenson. <laughs> so congratulations to Glenn Thompson for being our ass hat of, of the week. week. And for our last segment, we're taking more of a, you know, theoretical approach, as we often do. And we're talking about drawing a pretty bright, but perhaps subtle line when we, in our rhetoric around all of the criming that has happened and been executed by Republicans these days. And, like, making sure to, to be clear on the fact that no one should ever be imprisoned because of their political views. Yeah. They shouldn't be yeah. in prison for their policy positions as long as those policy positions aren't illegal. You know, policy yeah. actions aren't illegal. Um, yeah. So anytime we on this show or other shows are saying, like, this person deserves to be in prison, if this is a political figure, is because they've done crimes... And the right action by society is to put them in prison. Yeah. It's not because they are our political opponents. Yeah. So one of the things that I would actually give credit to the Biden administration for, and you know I don't do that often, hmm. is I think Biden specifically has done a good job of not exerting will over the justice department yeah. and pressure over the justice department yeah. in order to prosecute Trump yeah. or other, or other political opponents. Yeah, people have like complained that, Oh, well, what is Biden saying about the Gen six commission and all this stuff? It's like, leave him out he shouldn't of say it. anything. He shouldn't say yeah. anything. This, this should be as apolitical as possible. There's a reason why it's all been Republicans in the Gen six yeah. commission. Like we want it to be as apolitical as possible. Yeah, because he does have power over the Justice Department, yeah. and there cannot be 
top down pressure from the guy who ran against Trump. Sure. In order to make them do that. Yeah, that's now, why that we thought said, Trump was such an asshole. Like the, the one of the bombshells yeah. in the Jan 6 commission was that like he was pressuring the Justice Department to go and find fraudulent votes, corrupting yeah. the Department of Justice. Like that's exactly what we can't do. Yeah. So this this is about a general attitude that I want to try to warn people on the left against. And this goes back to the fact that the United States is a democratic republic, which means two things. On the democratic side, it means rule of the people, right? The, the people vote. On the republic side, it's there is a set of laws and rules and nobody can be above the rule of law, mm-hmm. all right? Which means that if a person is convicted of a crime, that is because the evidence showed that they committed that crime and through a specific process that has been defined, we made what they did a crime, right? Mm -hmm. So like legislation was passed that made what they did a crime. Yeah. It is not because a majority of people think they committed the crime or do not think they committed a crime. That is irrelevant and it should be irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And it's why I'm sick and fucking tired of all these goddamn petitions being sent to me (laughs) saying, sign this petition to hold Trump accountable. Demand that the courts prosecute him. No, (laughs) no, I'm not going to sign that petition because what I think should have nothing to do with what they decide. All right. I can use my freedom of speech to criticize court cases that I think were not ruled correctly. But at the end of the day, if a, if, if, if a, if a judge is listening to our podcast, I don't know if any judges listen to our podcast. You should not be taking yeah. <laughs> advice from us as to how to rule a case. Yeah. Because that is not our job. Yeah. I mean, like the point where one political side is incarcerating political opponents, that's a mark of authoritarianism. Like yeah. that is the, the disillusion of our balanced form of government like yeah that would be a terrible marker and so like we should be we should keep our advocacy our rhetoric away like as far away from advocating for that as possible right we should have a high bar for the specifics of what crimes were committed and what the evidence is in order to prosecute this kind of thing like it should be it should be it should follow criminal standards not the like the crime you know the court of public opinion standards it's the kind of thing that's like it's beyond a reasonable doubt that all of the elements of the crime were met and things like that as opposed to like man trump really seems like an asshole um yeah and again this is not because we want to keep trump out of prison i think we've talked before and we could talk at length about all of the actual explicit crimes that he's committed before during and after his presidency and that should be enough to put him in prison, not any kind of our political motivation, you know? Yeah, exactly. I disagree with him on taxes, but he shouldn't go to prison because of that. Yeah, of course. He should go to prison because he is, you know, like he pressured a foreign power to uh, uh, to help him cheat in an election. He 
um, violated campaign finance laws and was a uh, unindicted co-conspirator um, in a uh, in a plot to to cover up cash payments towards a porn star. Mm-hmm. Um, he incited an insurrection. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know that. Um, that's why he should go to prison. It's not for any of that other stuff. And also, I kind of want to address very briefly the other side of it, mm-hmm. which is that. I think that there have been some people that are so afraid of prosecuting political opponents and creating that um, that perception mm-hmm. of authoritarianism yeah. that they're willing to let elites get away with anything. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually I actually saw this uh, this argument um, on Bill Maher recently, where there was this guy who was basically making the argument that um that they should completely leave Donald Trump alone for the January 6 hmm. for for the January 6 stuff um because the precedent of the next administration um prosecuting the last administration hmm. is something that banana republics do and he and he actually used the example of of uh Gerald Ford pardoning Nixon hmm. and saying that was the right thing to do which I would say, no. Yeah, I'd say you're kind no. of missing the point. I like because because that's again that goes back to the idea of republics. Yeah. All right. Republics say that nobody is above the law. If we're saying that if you are if you have political power, if you have political sway, you are now above the law because it would too it would be too inconvenient. Yeah. Or divide the country in order to incarcerate you. That's that's not a good argument. Yeah. That is bullshit. It's exactly the same breakdown in the rule of law that it would be to prosecute political opponents because they're political opponents. You're just doing the yeah. opposite. You're not prosecuting political opponents because they're political opponents. Yeah. For example, when the Obama administration started, he specifically said that they were not going to try to pursue the Bush administration for crimes against humanity and war crimes. That was a complete mistake. Now, he should not have directed them to do it. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he directed them not to do it yeah. is in and of itself going against the principle of republicanism. Yeah. And that's small r republicanism. Yeah. And if you want to if you want to preserve the integrity, the transparency of that decision, you make the integrity clear and you make it transparent. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if 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 the worry is, well, it's going to seem politically motivated to do this, you do something that's exactly what like the January 6th commission is doing. They are laying out a case to the public that's like that is different from, hey, public, like get on the side of prosecution and is more like we are making the case that there is a good non-political reason to be pursuing yeah. this course of action. Like... Yeah, it's really it's paramount to make it clear that not just that you don't prosecute people for their political views, but that you make it clear that you're not prosecuting them for their political views. Yeah. Um, and so, like, obviously, that is paramount. That's super important. But that doesn't mean that you should never prosecute someone with opposing political views. That's like yeah. missing the forest. for the, That's like totally like misunderstanding the point. Yeah. Yeah. So this week we got the news 
that Bannon had been found guilty for contempt of Congress mm -hmm. for refusing to testify to the January 6th committee. Yep. And I saw a bunch of celebrating on Facebook. And it's one of those things that I think we should look at it and say it is better that it went that way than it went the opposite way. Yeah. Like, that is the way it should have gone. Justice is being done. Exactly. But it's not a, yeah, fuck Bannon, that racist asshole. Yeah. It's like, you have a right to be a racist asshole in the United States yeah. and not go to prison for it. Yeah. All right? And he's not I mean, going to prison for being a racist asshole. He's going to prison for ignoring yeah. a subpoena. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's the thing. When, as tempting as it is, when somebody that you don't like politically is put in a situation where they're being charged with a crime... Don't celebrate it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The idea that somebody who is a public servant has committed a crime is a tragedy to the system. Yes, exactly. Right? So, so to put it, to put it into perspective, let's look at Matt Gates versus Marjorie Taylor, Jewish space lasers green. So Matt Gates is like it, it, it there's credible information that suggests that he committed human trafficking. Mm -hmm. All right. And he should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Yeah. And I think his politics are bullshit. Yeah. I think his politics are absolutely terrible. Um, Let's just say idiotic. he could have Jewish space lasers in the middle of his name. <laughs> yeah. He could have Jewish space. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But if he does get prosecuted, any positivity that I feel towards that is going to be more of a, well, it's good that a, it's good that a human trafficker got his comeuppance rather than it's good that that asshole, you know, yeah, that, that homophobe yeah. got it. Yeah. You know, when it comes to Marjorie Taylor Greene, her politics are arguably worse than Matt Gates's. Mm -hmm. Like she is, she's awful. But as far as I've seen, it doesn't look like she's ever committed any serious crimes. Yeah. yeah. So I, like, there's no reason why anybody should ever think, you know, oh, let's let's go lock up Marjorie Taylor Greene because she just hasn't committed any crimes. Now, you should be spending time chastising her, mocking her, trying to take away her power through democratic means. But the idea of celebrating potential convictions of crimes is that's a whole nother story. Yeah. Now, I mean, maybe maybe there might be some stuff with the January 6th sure. um, commission that might indicate that she had done some crimes, but it. You know, but that's 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 still up in the air at this point. Yeah. So the the main point is that as offensive as a person's politics can be, don't chant lock her up. Yeah, I think I wanted to say it just like a slightly different way. I think it's such an important point that we have to we should emphasize it even further. Like we would all be better off if none of our civil servants, none of our political leaders, ever committed crimes. Yeah. And, and therefore, we're never incarcerated for crimes. Yeah. We are much worse off when they do commit crimes. And that's only a little bit compensated by the fact that they're then prosecuted for them. Yeah. So it is a, it is a symptom of a broken system working when public servants commit crimes and are prosecuted. It would be a symptom of a broken system not working if people that hadn't political opponents who hadn't committed crimes were imprisoned or if political opponents that had committed crimes 
whenever possible. And now it's time to end our show as we usually do with our highlights. So Nathan, what's your highlight this week? My highlight this week is that we finally got our couch. Ooh, that was actually very fast. Um, Last time I ordered a couch, it took eight months to arrive. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we would not have waited that long. <laughs> I really wish we um, hadn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, our, our couch finally arrived. It's a nice big sectional. Um, it's, I mean, it's the first expensive couch we've ever bought. Mm. And the price gave me like... <laughs> couches are dumb expensive. Yeah, couches are dumb. And it was on sale. Yeah, yeah. It was on sale and it was still... I I still had to sell a kidney. <laughs> Man, you've had a hard, your body's had a hard time recently. <laughs> yeah, it has. <laughs> so uh, what about you, Michael? What's your highlight? My highlight is another perspective one. Uh, I'm going on a, another bicycle, like multi-day bicycle trip uh, up in New York City, which is going to be super fun. So we're going to start in New York City and then bike into upstate New York along the Empire Trail and then make it back down into New York City or, uh, after about three days on on the road. So yeah. that's gonna be really fun. And, you, and you're gonna see you're gonna see Taylor, I'm right? Gonna see Taylor, yeah, my twin brother, a few of uh, a few of his friends who become my friends. Um, yeah, so it's gonna be awesome. And nice. I don't know how far nice. exactly we're gonna go, but probably at least 150 miles. So I'll be exhausted by the next time you hear from me. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Shout out to Taylor. I love you, bro. Yeah, love you, buddy. And so now we will thank our amazing patrons for making the show possible. Thank you f- to Jerry DeViller, Taylor Bloom, Fade Out Scoop, Kyle Chaska, and Tobias Janssen. And to you, dear listener, thank you so much for listening to The Perspectrum, and you'll hear from us again next week. <laughs>